Where are you anyway? Uh, I am in the Western Indian Ocean on the west coast of the island of Mauritius, which is the last known address of the dodo bird. Any particular reason? (laughs) Because the Portuguese explorers strangled them all somewhere in the 17th century. Oh, I was thinking more like any particular reason why you chose that place oh. as opposed to why the dodo ended its reign there. Uh, no, we just uh, ended up having a, it was a good deal. We needed to get away. And, and this is where we, we, we decided to go. And How's the buffet? You know what? Uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> we're, we're not much in the way in terms of um, all-inclusive people, but this is what they call a half board. We have breakfast and dinner. And today they had a big Easter buffet, which was well, it was fine. But again, you know, it's cruise ship food. It's not spiced in any particular with any particular panache. It's just it's just fine. They had something the called. Exp- hang on, hang on. I'm not finished talking about dinner. Okay. <laughs> they had uh, something on the. Um, what, what's interesting is they have a lot of Hindus here. Apparently, Mauritius is a very large um, Hindu destination, and the reason I say that is twofold. Number one, uh, they have vegetarian options on every single buffet. Uh, Number two, the pork sections on the buffet are labeled very, very clearly. For example, uh, yesterday there was a a pork byproduct and it was labeled pork may contain pork. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. And then uh, we were on a drive around the island yesterday and we discovered what my wife described as a a Hindu theme park, which... uh, uh, basic with some sort of holy site called was it Grand Basin? Grand Basin, and, uh, and the, the the place was constructed to handle thousands and thousands and thousands of pilgrims. Um, of course, here on Easter weekend it wasn't busy at all. So, um, but we know where to come whenever it's uh, big Hindu time. Was the Easter Bunny good to you? Well, there were a couple of pieces of chocolate on the buffet. That's about it. That's all I really cared about. I did discover a very nice rum called New Grove. There's two different types of rum here. Lots of sugar cane. So they make two different types of rum drink. One is a standard rum, uh, which has about 35% alcohol. Then they have something called rum liqueur, which is 37% alcohol and is often often spiced or flavored. And this New Grove is five-year-old rum uh, that is... uh, spiced up with uh, with honey and you have that with a little bit of coke and ice wow are you all liquored up right now it's like noon eastern time so there's no way i'm getting in on that no action. no no you're you're not it's uh it's 8 p.m here uh i don't even know what time zone this is but it's it's where we're you know where wherever the time we're east east of madagascar so figure that out all right shall we do the disclaimer how do i sound by the way you sound pretty good. Are you using like a, a special microphone or are you just using the internal? This is the internal mic. Oh, the uh, the snowball you, you used at the uh, the big live on location show. Yeah. Yeah, we can't do that again. It doesn't sound good. I think it's an omnidirectional uh, microphone. So it picked up a lot of the background uh, noise. Okay, never mind. I sounded fine. You sounded like crap and it looked like I was doing it on purpose. <laughs> okay, do your disclaimer. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers or blue microphones. No, I'm sorry. I have a couple of blue microphones at home and they're very good, but not this one apparently. Maybe I just set it up wrong. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest 
Stain. Classic rock meets courtroom drama. Why Pandora says it can play anything it wants prior to 1972. Fret Pen. It's the guitar you can stuff in your pocket. We'll introduce you to the Kickstarter program designed to shred big by going small. The weirdest records of all time, including one that you play for your plants. And a G&B update on Mug Tour 2014 and our massive milestones. Yes, and the real story behind a boy named Sue, as well as Tainted Love. Massive milestones sounds a little rude. That's fine. <laughs> and now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. You've been following this internet radio giant Pandora being sued over using classic rock. Stuff prior to 1972. This is a bit weird because uh, the record company seemed to want to have it both ways. Um, a lot of it has to do, from what I understand, and you can correct me on this, is they don't have proper digital licenses for music created prior to 1972, which is rather interesting because back in 1972, nobody was even thinking about anything that might become digital licenses in the future. So there's a, there's a bit of a weird push and pull going on here. I wonder if that applies to Sirius XM and a couple of other people. See, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So, so, so they're not paying for it, but why aren't they paying for it? Well, Pandora says that they're confident about their legal position. As a matter of fact, they're suing the 470,000-member American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, saying that the fees charged at the time made sustained profitability impossible. Yeah, that's something they've been talking about for quite some time. Yeah, they started that in 2012. So it sounds like what they're basically saying is, listen, you guys don't have the legal groundwork uh, to uh, charge us these licensing fees, so we're just going to play whatever we want. Uh, see, that's it. Okay, so that's 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 the issue. So the, the, the labels uh, want to sue Pandora because they don't have the right to broadcast this music, yet the labels don't have the right to grant the licenses? Is that... Well, and the counter-argument from Warner Music is that many of the artists who have uh, recorded songs before 1972 are either dead or they're not actively recording, so either their families or themselves need that income from their music. See, there's, there's something else, too. There, there was a, a law that was passed in 1977. No, that wouldn't have anything to do with it. it it's, see, this is why the, what's, what's holding us back from all these great steps forward in innovation is that they have these stupid little laws or these stupid arguments that, uh, that, that don't allow people to give the consumer what they want. And every, they're fighting over these, these tiny little crumbs of income. Uh, I'm just looking through the story here that uh, lack of compensation for it. Okay, so the artists in ASCAP are complaining that Pandora isn't paying for the privilege of paying, playing this music, correct? Correct. Okay, so why aren't they paying? Because the law states that anything recorded before 1972 doesn't uh, fall under the copyright law, and therefore anyone can play it. Well, then take it to Congress and figure it out. Take it to the Copyright Board and figure it out. Does that mean you and I, then, can play anything we want on this show prior to 1972? No, see, there's a problem. We're governed by Canadian laws, and don't even get me started on those. All right, then let's move on to Apple apparently teaming up uh, quite nicely with Shazam to basically, it seems like, build Shazam into the next operating system for Apple's uh, iPhone. Yeah, you're a SoundHound person, though, right? I'm a SoundHound guy because I already paid for it. Yeah. 
How much did you pay for I, it? I don't really. I think it was like two ninety nine or something like that. At the time, it seemed to be better than Shazam because you could sing into it and it would guess what the song was. But I think Shazam's caught up to that. Yeah, and Shazam has all kinds of other data features that you can use. Um, it makes sense uh, for Apple to integrate this into into iOS. I mean, they've they've um, they did it very nicely with Facebook. They did it very nicely with Twitter. And I guess they just figured that Shazam has reached critical uh, mass enough for them to include it in, in their in their software. And Apple really has to do something because um, iTunes Radio has not been the hit that they hoped it would be. A lot, uh, I think, what the uh, one one of the things about iTunes Radio is that you can listen to something and click a Buy Now Now button and automatically download the song from iTunes. Apparently, only one or two percent of people are actually doing that. So iTunes is this huge, and I mean the iTunes Music Store is, is this huge behemoth that at one point was responsible for seventy percent of the physical music sales. And when I mean physical, I mean you know where you actually have to possess the file um, of, of the entire planet. And now digital downloads are starting to level off. As a matter of fact, they fell last year for the very first time since the iTunes Store debuted, according to Nielsen SoundScan. Yeah, I've been watching this very carefully, and I'm seeing, uh, I mean, CDs are just like going through the floor. Uh, they, they, it's just a, it's a rocket ship to hell. Um, but now, especially in the United States, we're seeing uh, a severe decline in the sales of uh, digital albums, digital tracks, and something that are called album equivalents, which means people who were buying 10 tracks from various artists at one time. All these things are falling, and Apple really would like to protect the billions of dollars they make from iTunes, the music store. So they're going to have to figure out a way to make this happen. One of the ways that you can do it, and they've seen this, is that if when, once um, Shazam tags a um, a song that you're you're looking to identify, it gives you the option of purchasing it. And most of the time, from what I remember, it's they take it to the iTunes Music Store. Um, now, if they have tighter integration, you won't necessarily need to have the separate Shazam app for two ninety nine or four ninety nine four ninety nine for the Pro app um, to to use your iPhone or whatever. So that that could that that's a that's something that's that they're trying to use to um, save iTunes, really. Two out of three digital downloads came from the Apple iTunes store last year, according to NPD. But as you point out, things are slowing down and putting Shazam into the operating system itself might help boost those kinds of sales of, of tracks. But apparently Apple's also been talking to the industry about getting access to their newest music sooner. In exchange, Apple would agree to sell an entire album rather than individual tracks until the actual CD is released. Yeah, I'd like to see get that. I'd like to see that get past the uh, Federal Trade Commission. That uh, it would be a nasty, nasty monopolistic fight. Because who's who's uh, well, Amazon, I guess. But uh, they'd still have a chance to make their case on that one. You report on a journal of musicalthings.com about the fret pen, the guitar you can stuff in your pocket. I've known about this for a while, but I've promised not to say anything until they gave me the word, and they gave me the word today. Uh, by the time everybody hears this on Wednesday, uh, the Kickstarter program will have started. You know, fret pen is basically something the size of a pen. It looks like a guitar with a string on it, you move, and it, it interfaces with your iOS device. And it actually, um, if you want to play a little bit here of the, uh, the sample, it actually sounds like a pretty mean little guitar.
Okay, I've also uh, connected myself to the Kickstarter program. I've entered my email to be notified when it launches and so we can keep on top of this. Now, if you seem to have a relationship with these people whereby you weren't you were sitting on this information until it was more accessible. Does that mean that maybe we could get one or two or three of these things and give them away on the big show? Let me find out. I would like to. I don't know how much these things are worth, but you know, the, the download of the software would be free. We just need the, the, the pens. So what would be really cool is to get G&B listeners to play a little track for us using their fret pen. Okay, hang on. Let me just find this, and I'm going to put this in the flagged file. Okay. I hope your flagged file is better than mine, because I've got 232 items in my flagged file, and I don't ever go back to them. No, <laughs> neither do I. But I do have this one. There we go. And I'll put that in the after Mauritius file. There we go. I tried an app called Mail Pilot, and the premise behind it was is that you try to get your mailbox down to zero, and you would organize things by saying, okay, I've seen this email. I don't need to deal with it today. I'll deal with it tomorrow. And you put it in the tomorrow file. Things that you dealt with, you would swipe and they would disappear, even though they wouldn't technically be deleted because you'd want to be able to go back to them at some point. But it would organize all of that stuff. The problem was is that when you've got thousands of messages sitting in your inbox, trying to organize all of that kind of stuff, well, who's got the time? How many uh, messages do you have in your inbox right now? Uh, let me check. On my brand spanking new Mac... Um, I don't even know where I can tell where I've got them. But I, I flagged I have 233 items that I still have to deal with. Okay. Uh, in my inbox. Oh, here we go. Who's, whose inbox is bigger? Yours. I have two. Oh, you are one of these guys who yes, gets rid of all the... I am. And I file things and I put them, and I know how to search for them. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll flag them if I need them for later. And then I um, have things that I have to deal with immediately and things that I have to deal with later and things that I think will just eventually... So are these just folders basically in your Mac Mail app? Yeah. All right. So no high-tech software you've purchased or anything nonsense like that. But the problem is I have to process each app or each email as they come in. Ah, see, I don't have the patience for that. And my problem, too, is that if you email me while I'm on the air, I may notice it and then completely forget about it by the time I'm off the TV. Email is, is horrible. I don't like email at all, but uh, it's, it's one of these necessary evils. Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com, also available on 8-track and cassette. Mashable.com's got this seven incognito wearables. You'll never guess were gadgets. And it sort of piqued my curiosity because it was similar to those headphones that we were looking at, the wireless headphones. Number one is the Dash headphones, which basically look like a little tiny puck that you stick in your ear and it eliminates the tangled wires. They're $300 on pre-order right now. Are you still into the idea of headphones that don't have any wires? I, I could be, but I would uh, eventually I would inevitably lose one. <laughs> just one but that that's kind of cool with socks it's one thing it's yeah. okay to lose a sock not half of a 300 dollars earbud package yeah oh it's a slideshow oh god i hate these yeah i hate the slideshows too there there is an option under there to, to list them all at once but the other one is the cuff set for a fall 2014 release it is a wearable gps bracelet that when connected to other devices worn by the loved ones will vibrate when the wearer presses a button Marketed as a tool for both emergency situations and simple attention grabbing. You know what this is good for? Elderly parents. And you know what else? 
dinner parties. Honey, it's time to to go. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. See? No no, no more eye looks, you know, no more wiggling of the eyebrows or, you know, quickly glancing at the watch. You just tap the the damn bracelet and your spouse goes, oh, I guess it's time to leave. Wow, because they actually do look like jewelry, don't they? They do. I'm looking at it right now. They've got four different models here. Granted, it uh, there's only one that looks like would be worn by a man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, yeah, the one on the right. Yeah, it's it's very masculine. Looks like banged out leather, and that's fine. Something that that you would see on uh, Game of Thrones. See what a cool thing would be is, is if there were to be a like an ankle bracelet, you could hide it. <laughs> yeah, but then it'd be a little weird for you to be reaching down to tap your ankle bracelet. Oh, that's true too. That's true too. Yeah. What's going on down there? <laughs> or people would think that uh, you know maybe you're outside your house arrest. Yes, exactly. Or if it's at the dinner table at a dinner party that you're sneaking food to the dog. Yeah. This number three on the list, The Ring, is a minimal version of the Glove in the Minority Report movie um, that you basically wear on your finger. It looks a little chunky. It looks like you're wearing basically a bolt around your finger. But the neat thing about it is that um, it blew past the $250,000 goal three times over. It's about 185 bucks, And you basically spin your finger around to do different things. Like if you want to uh, text, you just draw the letters in the air with your finger. Wow. How weird is that? It's kind of cool. How's that for texting and driving? No kidding. People will think you're conducting. You can also control home appliances and apps. Exactly. Home appliances. Like you wave your hand over the stove and it starts. That's yes. kind of, very Jedi. Right. Turn on the TV. Yeah, it is very Jedi. But it's also 185 bucks for something that you'll probably wear once. Yeah, probably. They've got uh, the D-shirt, uh, which is a shirt sensor-laced fabric connected to a Bluetooth transmitter that tracks where you move. There's also the Smarter Socks with an RFID chip that allows you to ensure that you never lose the other sock. Hey, sweetie, check out this. You need this. My wife's here. It's, it's a gadget that actually pairs socks. <gasps> Do you hear that? She's excited. <laughs> <laughs> Ten pairs of socks, 190 bucks. See what she reacts to with that. And she's still excited? Well, she says it's good for me. I mean, I'm happy with black socks. It's a dude thing. Oh, see, are you, are you one of these guys whose sock drawer is filled with nothing but the exact same pair of socks? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I know how you feel on, on that. Makes it a lot easier to sort. It does. If you lose one, it doesn't matter. Nope. But if they're all black sweat socks, what are you going to wear when you're wearing brown pants? Yeah, that is a problem. Yeah. So smarter socks. Then we have smart diapers. I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> and then we have a Google glucose monitoring contact lens. I've heard about this one. Oh, the idea that it uses your tears to monitor your glucose levels? Yeah, which is kind of cool because you don't have to stick a needle in your finger all the time. Okay, but then how does it indicate to you that you need to up or down your glucose level? Yeah, could you imagine if it vibrated, how weird that would feel? Uh, there's a small wireless chip. It doesn't say, does it? No, it doesn't. But I have, I have read about that, and there were some people who were saying it's rather skeptical. Like, how are they going to be able to uh, build a necessary circuitry to make this work? Exactly. So this is just the transmitter that goes around the contact lens. Hopefully you wouldn't see it, but you probably would. And so you're going to be that weird Android-like guy. People are going to be like, why does he have these weird 
chrome rings around his eyes. But I'm listen, if you're a diabetic and you're tired of uh, having to prick your finger all the time, not a bad idea. Uh, from weird wearables to the weirdest records of all time. Yeah, aren't these wild? Record Store Day was on Saturday, so a lot of people were talking about strange records. And uh, Noisy, which is a division of Vice, came up with this list of the weirdest records of all time. Um, there's one by a woman named Ann Chase who uh, wrote a song, wrote an entire album that you play for your plants. <laughs> what tranquility a quiet life affords. I am listening to my thoughts. They sound like a rhapsody in green. Which reminded me a lot of a record I had when I was a, when I was a kid. Uh, and we were supposed to play him for the budgies. And uh, it, was, it was a terrible, terrible record that had this woman with a super sugary voice uh, repeating these phrases that your budgies were supposed to pick up. Okay, but the problem with that is that you would put the record on, you'd go to work... And after, what, 30 minutes, the record would hit to the end. And instead of your... It was a seven-inch single. It was like two and a half minutes. Oh, even worse. Because then, you know, if you don't pick it up, the needle up off the record fast enough, you got a budgie that sits there on its perch all day going... Yeah, I know. But, no, you know, one of the cool things about going to record shows, and we should have talked about this when we were there, is that people don't go to these shows for not just, you know, records full of music, but for records full of the narration and spoken word and all the other weird stuff that you can get. You know, they talk about, for example... Um, the one minute of silence from the funeral of Diana, Princess of Wales. I remember this. This was somebody who went out and recorded the one minute silence on September 6, 1997 during Diana's public funeral. And all you hear is the ambient noise from everybody falling silent for that one minute. Put that on a record or a CD and um, it, it, it sold out like, like crazy. Really? Yes, it did. For one minute, the whole nation keeps silence. another record that I ran across once where it was a collection of two-minute silences from November the 11th recorded at various places around the planet over a period of years and again that sold like crazy that just seems weird to me why you would no it's it's, it's mawkish and strange and stupid but I mean it's it's a cool thing to have just because it's so mawkish strange and stupid time now for a geeks and beats update 
London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. I'm just looking here. It appears we have not one, but two co-producers this week. Oh! Scott Coates, 73, is his Twitter handle. Scott has been a, uh, a G&B co-producer in the past uh, already. And uh, we also have uh, Marie-José Caron as our uh, newest co-producer on The Big Show. Well, thank you, Marie. I really appreciate that. That's very nice of you. That was very thoughtful. So uh, they opened up their wallets wide. $25 was donated. And now they get the benefit of being able to put the fact that they co-produced this show on a resume. Yes. And we will vouch for you. We will say that, yes, uh, they were a... um, um uh, an integral part of making episode number 53 happen. The other thing, too, is they could have opened their wallets and gotten themselves a traveling mug of traveling. Because mm-hmm. it is a miracle travel mug of traveling. It is. I, of course, forgot to pack it. Oh, you did. I did. I'm sorry. Uh, see, this is ridiculous because uh, we have uh, one of our GNB listeners who's now actually got a hashtag, GNB Mug Tour 2014. <laughs> Victor Biggio has a collection. He also got the 50th anniversary T-shirt, as we had talked about and, recently. And how much did they spend for that, for that, on that? It was a hundred bucks. Yeah, got himself the mug as well, and he's been touring it all around the world. His most recent photos are in downtown Toronto and at the Indy 88 headquarters, where he points out that you guys need to work on getting a better banner outside the building. Yeah, we, <laughs> we do. Uh, what we have out there right now is uh, what's called banner roll, which is basically plastic. It's just a, a stretch of, of, of plastic crap. But it's <laughs> it's and it's been out there all winter and in the wind and the cold and it's it's, it's had a better it's had seen better days. So Victor, thank you for uh, spreading the word around the world. You can go to geeksandbeats.com to the swag store and pick yourself up a miracle travel mug of traveling. Or if you're not a traveling type of person with your beverage, hot or cold, you can also uh, grab the ceramic mug, which is the one I've got sitting on my desk right now. Yeah, I have to get that when I get home. Meantime, we breached the one hundred and twenty thousand listener mark. Well, that's fantastic. Well, you know, when we showed up at the record show, what was it, last two weeks ago? I couldn't believe the number of people that actually came up to us and said that they were there just to meet us, which is really kind of weird. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we seem to be striking some sort of chord with with people. Of course, we're not making any money from it outside of the occasional $25 and $50 and $100 donations, but that's fine. Um, We we, we seem to be filling a gap and, and providing a service. So thank you very much uh, for doing so and for uh, passing along to your friends and family, uh, particularly if you do so, if you're on the Facebook page, uh, tag us or by relation, just go to the Facebook page, write in a little review there. We'd appreciate that. And that'll pass it along to everyone else as well. Hey, Geeks and Beats up. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Listen, I, no, I, no. Uh, here's an update uh, that I need. Uh, last week, we didn't do a podcast because I was somewhere over South Sudan. <laughs> well, we kind of did a podcast. Well, can you tell me what happened? Because I was literally, I was somewhere between South Sudan and uh, uh, our flight plan actually took us over Mogadishu. So, uh, yes. Hopefully, hopefully about 30,000 feet up. 30, 33, I checked. <laughs> Yeah, because you don't want to be low-flying through Mogadishu. No, and I, and, I, and I nudged my wife and I said, we're over Mogadishu. Somebody down there has a shoulder-mounted uh, surface-to-air rocket launcher. They're probably looking up and seeing the contrails and going, hmm, we should shoot them down. Speaking of contrails, I just recently uh, came back into, uh, uh, or recently had a, a, an old long-lost uncle come back into my life who I hadn't seen in 15 years. And the last I met him, I was still a kid, uh, only to find out that my, my crazy long-lost uncle is a little crazy. Mm-hmm. He's 
one of these guys who believes contrails are uh, the government trying to seed the sky with chemicals. Oh, chemtrails. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? The, the big red flag for that kind of way of thinking is do the research. Look it up. Anytime somebody tells you to do the research, look it up, you know that it's a hoax. Yeah. It's like um, anti-vaxxers and people who say that seven, uh, September 11th was an inside job. Geeks and Beats update uh, on I feel, uh, on pam- pamplemousse. Pamplemousse? Pamplemousse. Pamplemousse, pamplemousse is, is, is French for grapefruit. Yes. As a matter of fact, here in Mauritius, in the upper northwest quadrant of the island, is a region called Pamplemousse. Oh, really? So the band that we've been featuring recently on the program where they do all these mashups, uh, they've got a new one. And it's a, a variation of James Brown's I Feel Good. Have you heard this one? No. I like oh, wait a minute. You know what? We we, uh, we, we never went back to the uh, to the podcast angle. That, oh, yeah. Uh, I jumped ahead. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to that. What what, what did you do? <laughs> well, I was, I, while I was over well, Somalia. Over the, last, over the last two seasons of The Big Show, um, I have from time to time isolated minor responses from you and put them in a folder <laughs> called ADR. ADR. For additional dialogue recording. Uh-huh. So if if ever there's a moment where your reaction isn't punchy enough, <laughs> I can just slide this one in. Okay. So basically we carried on a conversation on last week's episode using nothing but the ADR folder content. <laughs> so it was oh dear. Don't worry, I didn't put any particular words or phrases or opinions into your mouth that you didn't already have. Okay, hang on. iTunes. Oh see, now you're gonna go and listen to it. <laughs> Where's the iTunes store? Geeks and Beats. Geeks and Beats. Here we go. And I'm just going to download it here. I have to be very careful because you don't want to know what the roaming charges are like around this part of the world. Are you on? Are you not on Wi-Fi? The Wi-Fi here at the hotel stinks. So I'm on... Uh, I've got a Thunderbolt connector that uh, connects directly to uh, Ethernet. And that's how I'm getting around it. But did you read about the woman who accidentally downloaded a Neil Diamond album while on safari in Africa? And how much did it cost her? $4,800. Sweet Caroline. Yeah. And that was one of the songs that she downloaded. So um, she, they were sitting around, apparently they were sitting around the campfire and they were singing songs and I thought, okay, here we are in some you know, South African game farm and I would really love to be able to swing, sing, you know, Sweet Caroline or, or, or Holly Holy or something. And she uh, whipped out her phone and decided that she was going to download the album and, you know, <laughs> there was a problem. Four grand later. $4,800. Wow. 2,600 pounds. I'm impressed, though, that she could be in the middle of the African savanna and actually get a cell signal. Well, that's, that is actually kind of cool. It's not cheap, though. So we featured recently Pomplamoose on the big show, and uh, I thought maybe we would take a listen to their version of James Brown's I Feel Good. Okay, do it.
Hello everyone. Nope. Hope you liked the video on YouTube. Wrong again. That was our new... Okay, Trace right. Cosas. If you enjoyed that, you should check out our last video, Like a Million, over here. And, if and we you have a behind the scenes to Like a Million over here. That's on our second channel, where we're gonna be uploading a chat show next week, episode one. Episode one. Episode one. <laughs> <laughs> the show is called More Pomplamoose. We have a table. Right. Most importantest of all is that our tour is coming up. Click down here, there's a link to our website which has all of our ticket info. Right now there's just one, which is our New York show. This is the whole, all of the places that we're going to be playing. Boom. Our, map boom. in three, two, one, map. Uh, hi Alan, this is Josh calling from Ottawa, Ontario. I just had a question for Ask Alan Anything. Uh, I was listening to another podcast this week, as I occasionally do. They were talking about his Folsom Prison live album, uh, and they were talking about specifically um, the song A Boy Named Sue, and I was really interested to learn that it was actually written as a poem by Shel Silverstein. And I was wondering if you could uh, tell the listeners about maybe some other songs uh, that were written by people that we wouldn't suspect. I found that really interesting. So uh, thanks, and uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, I mean, there were basically what we're talking about are songs that you did not know were cover versions. And, um, you know, there are tons and tons and tons. And I'll give you one example. Uh, all you have to do if, to find out more is go, um, is, is search for songs that are actually cover versions. The biggest one that I can tell you is Tainted Love by Soft Cell, which was actually written by a guy named Ed Cobb back in 1964 and became a northern soul hit of sorts for uh, a woman named Gloria Jones in 1965 or 1966. Now, the two guys in Soft Cell were big fans of Northern Soul, and when it came time to uh, create something or to release something, they decided that they were going to cover one of their favorite songs from the 60s, and it became a number one hit in, in Britain uh, on four separate occasions. It became their only real hit. No, 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 not necessarily. What else could you name of Soft Cell? Uh, Sex Dwarf, Say Hello, Way Goodbye, Bed Sitter. Okay, I asked the wrong person. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Josh, if you, want to, if you want to know more, Google songs that are actually covers, and you'll be shocked at how many famous songs were actually written by other people. And if you're asking about Johnny Cash and, Folsom, and, and A Boy Named Sue, uh, it wasn't a Folsom Prism album, it was the San Quentin album, uh, by the way. A uh, Boy Named Sue was written by a guy named Shel Silverstein. And I didn't look that up. I just knew that. In other words, what you're saying is that this other podcast he was listening to got it wrong, and he probably shouldn't be listening to other podcasts. It's certainly not that one, because they don't seem to know their music very well. I'll tell you this, too. The very first album that I ever got as a gift was, was from my Aunt Olga, and that was Johnny Cash Live at San Quentin, 1968. My first one was a Styx album. Oh, I think we've had this discussion. What's the <laughs> Which one? It was The Grand Illusion. Oh, that one. That's a crappy record. <laughs> What's eight? Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation. <laughs>